When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to KGXT, Gen X Talks podcast live from Central California. Making plans with the boys. I'm going to hit the town. Yeah, I'm going to make some noise. I'll push past the pain and my wounded pride. I'm going to live it up. Yeah, stay out all night. But should I have had some better times? And I can't. We have a special guest in studio today, Marine Corps Staff Sergeant stationed at Camp Pendleton and my son-in-law. So it means a couple things. One, that everything he's telling us is going to be the truth because he's not allowed to lie to his father-in-law. And number two, I don't have to pay him. <laughs> That's a convenience of family. So let's go to the right over here. Mike, welcome to the program. I know I didn't get you up early because you, you wake up at oh God early all the time. <laughs> But uh, I wanted to say thank you for taking time. I know you got a busy weekend plan. You're trying to get out of here and get back on the road. But yep. before you go, I want to try to encapsulate some of the stuff you and I have been talking about off and on for months, really. But let's before we begin, um, what tell everybody what rank, what your job is, what your rank and title is at your work. Uh, yeah, so I actually just got selected for staff sergeant, so I'm about to pick up rank. Uh, I'm an avionics technician. So this is just a fancy way of saying electrical work on aircraft, and I work on helicopters H1 platform. Is that the only thing you work on? Is just just the helicopters, or do you get do you branch out into other stuff too? Um, that's more or less the only thing I work on. But uh, it's the nature of the beast for the Marine Corps for you to kind of get pulled and dragged to do other things as well. So I got you. Well, let's let's go back to the beginning. What? First of all, what made you want to enlist in the Marine Corps, and when did you actually, when was boot camp for you? How long ago? Yeah, so I joined the Marine Corps. I'd, I'd always wanted to join the Marine Corps. My dad was in the Marine Corps. Um, I knew I was uh, not intelligent enough to go to school or do anything <laughs> like that. Uh, so I knew I wanted to join the Marine Corps. I joined straight out of high school in 2015. So you've been in there a bit now. you got some time under your belt. Yeah, I've been there for a little while now. Well, how was boot camp? I mean, was that a, I know you, if being it was in the Marine Corps is in the family, was that an eye-opening experience or was you, were you pretty prepared for it? Because when I've, I've heard stories, I've never been in, I've never been yeah. through basic training anyway, but when you hear people always come out and go, that was a lot tougher than I thought. That was an eye-opening experience. Was it that way for you? Uh, yeah. I mean, I feel like there's definitely nothing that can really prepare you for like, you know, that kind of experience. It, it's, it's different. And I don't know what I could even compare it to, <laughs> but I feel there there is an aspect of it that's kind of I, I don't know if I'd say easy, but your your life is very very structured. You know, you're told where to be and when to be there. So and you just go where you, you need to be it. and you just do it. 
but it can't be it can't be for everyone you can't I, I i don't get the impression that basic training is don't worry we've told you when to eat when to shower when to shave you're going to be fine i i gotta think that it's not easy i gotta think people drop out yeah they, yeah it's definitely not for everybody i feel like it just takes uh as long as you have that mindset of just being a you know you're going to take on whatever challenge is put in front of you and then you just you know they'll put those challenges in front of you and you just do what you can to knock it out and and what happens after basic training after boot camp do you is there's some sort of a tech school when you when you choose what you're going to be doing don't they after basic don't they send you off to some sort of training for the area you've 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 been recruited for yes so for the marine corps and the marine corps only um after you go to boot camp if if your job is not to be like a basic infantryman, right. like you're not going to just go be you know shoot people on the front line, right? Um, you first go to what's called MCT, which is Marine Corps Combat Training, and you get kind of basic combat training, uh, and that's about a month long, and that's for everybody. Everybody does yep, that because right. you know, the Marine Corps yeah. every every Marine's a rifleman. Uh, so you go to that; it's about a month long, and then after that, you go to your like job specific text now you did now is it true there's just two places you can do training in the united states from basic training is it pendleton camp pendleton's one is the other one uh, back east so uh so there's one it's, it's actually in san diego it's right next to the san diego airport um if you do do that one you do go to camp pendleton for uh, a few weeks of your training right. and then the other one is in um Camp Lejeune, Fort Camp Lejeune, or no? Is that, is that no, 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 no. It, Paris Island? Paris Island. All yep, right. it, it's up in that area, but it's its own. But there's just two places. That's yep, the only just the two places. Because the army, I understand, has many places you can do your basic. They have a lot of bases you can do basic training. It isn't just like one or two places. Because I've heard different names of of camps that they went to. So, but I figured the Marine Corps was more focused on two places. Yeah. Where did you do your schooling after after that? You left San Diego when you were done. Where'd you go for training, or or were you was it all there? Now, so, uh, so the Marine Corps combat training, the MCT that you do, it, it's very similar. It's based. So if you went to the San Diego one, then you go to Camp Pendleton. And if you were in Paris Island, then you, that's where you go and do your MCT as well. All right. And then for me personally, um, because my job is so like, uh, specific, like specific <laughs> yeah. and like, yeah, you know, I'm going to be working on helicopters. My schooling was in two different places. So first I went to, uh, Pensacola, Florida, and I was there for a few months. And there, they kind of taught me like basic electronics, and then like basic, like how like aircraft integrate electronics. Right. Uh, and then when I graduated, that I got to pick like what specific um, aircraft I would be actually working on. Mm -hmm. And then from there, uh, I went to a school that was specific to that aircraft. Why did you pick helicopters? You could have picked a lot of stuff. There's a lot of choices out there, wasn't there? Well, so in my case, there wasn't. So it, it just kind of, it's just kind of like a give, like it just depends. Uh, so for me, there was actually only, there was seven Marines in my class and there was six orders for helicopters and one order for Harriers. Oh, yeah, so like Not you could go, yeah, and there could be a there could be a plethora of options. They could have like everything available to you, right? Or they could have nothing available. 
Well, that was so. The, that's the. <laughs> it's kind of a running joke. I that it, I've heard for years, and I don't know if this is true. Of me, it's they always say that uh, the Marine Corps equipment is the Navy's hand-me-downs, is the Army's hand-me-down, is the Air Force's. When the Air Force gets a new helicopter, then they scrap the old ones, and that's the one you guys get. Now, that's always been the running joke my entire life because I've had friends in all branches of the military. Is that is that a joke or is that really true? You guys get the old stuff. Uh, it It's true kind of like in the idea of it, less like specifically. We do, we just don't get as fancy of things that say the air force would get the stuff we're getting isn't like oh it was used by the air force and now it's given to <laughs> it's us not like something from the 80s <laughs> yeah it's not like some old school thing it's just you know well that was always one of the running jokes that was you know that you just hear when you bar talking going around the other one is this now i know you talked to me about and we'll get to what you're doing later what you where you're going with this but you know there's in the army there are specific jobs called non-deployable positions once you get a job it's like you're not going anywhere and i used to talk to some of my marine corps buddies about that before in the past and they said well i'm working my way towards this and and you know i said well is that a non-deployable position and they said well technically it is they're they're in the marine corps there is non-deployable positions you're not going to go do something but they always every one of these soldiers came back and said just so you know that's a that's an army term okay you are always a Marine, no matter what. They're, if it comes down to it, they don't care what you're doing. They will put a gun in your hand and tell you, go that way. There is no Marine job that is a non truly a non-deployable position because they will. you are a soldier, you are a Marine first, then your job. That's that's the way they described it. Would you would you characterize that as fairly accurate? Uh, yeah, that, <clears throat> that's definitely accurate for the Marine Corps. It's like... Like even just going back to what I was saying, like after your basic boot camp, you still go everybody, regardless. You you could be an admin marine where your job is going to be data entry. Right. You're going to go to that combat training. See, and that's you're going to the, get and that was the difference in the army. I've known some one one of my sons was in the army, and I had a stepson that was in the army too. They were both working towards non deployable positions at the time, but they they were very clear. No, no, I don't have to go anywhere. There's enough soldiers in the army that they can send infantry. I'm not going. I'm I'm my weapon is now a pen and I sit at a desk. So I thought that was a very unique and distinct thing for the Marine Corps. Uh, you know, and, and and everyone said it with pride. They didn't say it begrudgingly. I never heard one soldier say, "Well, I have to go fight if I had." Every one of them proudly said, "I'm always a, I'm always a soldier first. I will go fight." Now, my job over here is this. But I'm always a Marine first. I, I like that. I like that there was some some uh, some pride, a little prestige that your branch was that way. I like that. Yeah. So there you are. You get your tech school done after your basic training. You got your stuff. And where's your first where's your first assignment? Where do you first show up for work with your tool belt and say, okay, <laughs> I'm here. Got my footlocker and my tools. Let's go. Uh, yeah. So uh, the first place that I went, and it's actually been the only place I've been the whole time, was uh, Camp Pendleton, California. Uh, for the aircraft that I work on, there's very limited places that you can go, and the majority of the squadrons that fly those helicopters are on Camp Pendleton. 
Uh, well, you know, you've you've described, you show me some pictures of things you're working on, just what the aircraft look like. The same stuff you'd find on Google if I knew where to look for the things you've talked about. You know, that's not it's public information, I'm sure. But I can't believe some of the high tech stuff and dollar amount. Like even there was one part, and I'm gonna I'll, I'll mess this up, so you got to guide me here. But there was one part of the aircraft that had to do with uh, some sort of laser or computer or radar thing. You said you guys don't even touch it. You guys take it out, send it out to be fixed and they send you back a piece and the cost was enormous but you also said but it's the bitchiness shit in the world nobody's got this what was that what what kind of you don't have to tell me the details but what was that yeah so if i remember correctly we're just kind of referring to like a forward-looking sensor that's it like so yeah that's yeah right. uh yeah there, there's like definitely stuff on there that like even with how long I've been working there, I couldn't I couldn't tell you exactly how some of the stuff works. I can tell you when it's not working and that it, <laughs> and that it needs to be sent to the people who developed and manufactured it so that they can fix it for us. But yeah, yeah that definitely isn't secondhand stuff. Yeah, definitely that's, not that's, secondhand that's stuff. That's Marine Corps state of yep. the art. You know, you guys got the cutting edge technology as good as anybody in the world. Yeah, yeah, that's that's amazing stuff right there. Do you ever deal with anything in your job description um, when you're working on the helicopters with any sort of live ammunition, or is that all taken off before they roll the helicopter into your bay to be worked on? Or do you? Is there a weapons area of weapons helicopter guys? They just deal with ordnance, or is that for all of you? So, so there there is an ordnance shop, and they and they 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 their primary job is to load on ammunition unload ammunition on on any military flight line there's what's called a kayla and how it works is like our aircraft they'll they'll turn up they'll get ready they'll launch from the standard flight line where we work where our hangers are right. they fly over to the kayla that's where all the ammunition is loaded on somebody it. that makes sure the bullets work you know that they the guns fire that yep. the missiles can be fired correctly right i mean there's, there's got to be a crew that does that yeah camp yeah, Camp Pendleton, as big of a base that it is, the majority of Camp Pendleton is a range. Ah. Yeah. You know, I drove down to, uh, uh, saw your your wife and my daughter one time. I had to go down to San Diego a couple times to pick up some things. And I'm going along the coast. And I didn't, now I'm near Pendleton. I'm going south, so the, the ocean's to my right, the beach is to my right. I'm near Pendleton. But I can't believe that I was looking at the, the beach was only 100, 200 yards wide. And there are your guys are down there, helicopters and jumping out of coming down ropes and picking up blocks of things. And, and there's people running. I mean, they were doing exercises right on the beach. I'm thinking, OK, first of all, my thought was, well, those those guys can go wherever they want. <laughs> you know, No one's going to yeah. tell the Marine Corps, hey, you're not. I'm fishing here, man. You can't train here. No one's going to tell you guys that. But. How far up the coast could you guys do exercises and and and, and practice stuff? Yeah, so uh, that area that you're talking about, when you're driving down the five, the to the right, the beach to the left, you know, kind of little mountainous hills. Yeah. That that's Camp Pendleton. Camp Pendleton owns those beaches. Those so are the five interstate of, goes right through it. Goes through it. I did not know that. Yeah. yeah, that was that was that blew me away. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you guys are you we're, we're 100 yards from where i'm driving and yeah. i'm quite sure this has got to be campground somewhere in here and i mean there was hundreds and hundreds of you guys and they were literally i just happened to go by when they had the, the there was helicopter what do they call the ones with two two pro 
two blades. Ospreys. They had three or four of those and guys going down ropes mm-hmm. to the ground. I mean, quickly. And then yeah. there was one further up that was picking up. It's like you guys put out these big containers and I saw uh, the helicopter latching, the guys latching stuff onto it and then it pulling it up. It was probably like learning how to deploy things and put yeah. things back on. But they were fast, man. It just, it just, I, I didn't, I didn't expect to see, you know, Marine Corps readiness exercises while yeah. I was driving to San Diego, but there it was. Yeah, right. one of the the thing that the Marine Corps probably prides himself the most in is like amphibious landings. So like being out at sea and going to shore is something that we we practice regularly. Well, since you brought that up, a couple years ago, it was on the news. That didn't go so well. Yeah. You guys, now, the, there was an accident where mm-hmm. one or two of those things sank to the bottom of the ocean with some soldiers in it. It was all over the news. And yeah. what was it, What was that, uh, what was the vehicle called? Because I can't remember. The uh, amphibious landing vehicle. Yeah, amphibious landing vehicle. And they were older. Those weren't, the, in the news, they said these were older units. They're, mm-hmm. uh, they're prone to leaking but they have pumps that keep them, you know, keep water out, but that's just kind of how it goes. And there was a lot of soldiers that came on the news at that time and said out loud, I said, well, you know, we're always worried about that because these things do leak. They are old. They're just training vehicles. And then it ends up one or two of them sank. And one of the guys was from my family's hometown up in Oregon. He had just got out of basic. He was 20 years old, 19 years old, I think. And he didn't make it out of there. Now, were you, how close were you on that exercise? Were you, weren't you there? Yeah. So I was actually on the boat that they had launched from and that they were coming back to. And I remember, so I remember I was on the boat, I was on the flight deck, um, you know, just doing my thing that day, working on the helicopters and the Navy started launching, uh, like little rescue boats. And I didn't even know that something was actually happening. I, I thought that the Navy was just doing some like training. Oh, hey, let's, let's like a drill. Yeah, yeah. Let's practice. This was, this is going on. And then you could kind of see out in the distance, like one of those things, um, a little bit more submerged than it, than it usually would be. And then you kind of started to realize like, Oh dang, like, like, like there's something, a problem. Some, yeah, some, some, there's a problem. Something's happening. Um, and they, and they got out there and they got to everybody they could and they brought them on deck and, you know, there was Navy corpsmen running around all over the place doing everything they could. But once those things go down, you don't have, I mean, you you can only hold your breath for so long. And even yeah. though the Navy's the best in the world at rescue, there's just, you can't get somebody down there quick enough. There was mm-hmm. a big backlash for a few weeks on that. I remember arguing with people personally. They're like, oh, the, the Navy and the Marine Corps, and they, we got to shut this down and we got to stop. And I'm like, okay, they're soldiers, they're training. Accidents are going to happen. Could mm-hmm. it happen to my son? absolutely can happen i don't blame them there wasn't you know now now you get into neglect and what the okay i wasn't talking about that i don't know how those vehicles were maintained i don't know whose job it was i don't know was it was a it was a lack of judgment on on maintenance or if it was just an accident i wasn't talking about that all i was talking about was the fact that accidents happen you 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 can die on deployment you can die in a training accident that kind of goes along when you raise your hand and sign the paper you know that, you know, you don't train in safety either. You know, you train dangerously at some things you guys do. So yeah. I wasn't just need you to know out loud that even though it was a tragedy and my heart was breaking for how that went down, I don't think you got to, you don't, you don't ever stop training. You can't quit. 
You can't quit the policies that are there. You know, could you tighten up some things? Yeah, maybe. But that can happen anywhere and all over the world. There can always be improvement. But um, just it was a tragedy. I couldn't. But that was the thing too. Is that all of a sudden I'm calling my daughter to find out if you were there because it was right where you were, and like you said, you were on the boat. Yeah. And I'm calling her and she's crying, going, "They've blacked out everything. I can't get a hold of my husband. They're not telling us anything." None of us in the family knew if you were on one of those crafts. We didn't know if you were in the water. If you, we had no idea. And for hours and hours and hours, did do they black you guys out? No phones, no email, no nothing. Do they? Is there a way the boats can do that? Uh, so they didn't like. From what I know, they didn't like put anything that blocked any of our signal going in or out. I mean, obviously, when you're out, kind of in the ocean, you know. There ain't cell phone towers out there. Service right. is limited, but they did. They do tell you, you know, hey, don't don't start, you know, posting on social media, blah blah blah. And and the biggest reason why is because that that's the last way a family wants to find out that something's happened to right. their child is about reading a post, and and they don't want to cause, you know panic and stuff like that because it, it never makes anything better you know and all I mean? the stories on social media if if 20 soldiers posted 20 different stories they're all going to be wrong they're all going to be different they're not going to be a complete picture yeah. of what's going on anyway yeah so i mean mostly just out of respect for the families of you know the people who were you know actually involved Mo most people aren't gonna well it say was anything super hard on your wife my daughter yeah. it was super hard on all of us as family because we were calling every half hour. We were watching every channel of news trying to get a glimpse. You know, cameras were showing people and soldiers doing stuff. We, we, were, we were relegated to hoping to see you on camera on accident. Like, wait, I think that was Mike. I think, that, I think he's okay. I saw him walk by right there. That's, that's what it felt like on our end, just so you know. It's, a, it's yeah. just a not knowing. It's tough. But, um, yeah, so from the training on the coast to the accidents that happened, and it was just I'm, – I'm, I'm glad. I'm, of course, I'm glad you didn't go down with the ship, yeah. so to speak. That would have been bad. What is yeah. it? Speaking of that, what's the toughest training you've ever done? After you got out of basic training, after you got through with your classes, um, maybe the toughest isn't really the word I'm asking for. What did you feel the like? This is this is dangerous. I really got to keep my head focused. Was there any live ammunition training or something you went through that was kind of like you realize this is serious? Even training. Uh, I mean, there was never anything that I felt like. Maybe my life was like at risk or anything like that. Specifically, there there is some you do do like live ammunition training. Um, there's stuff like towards the end where uh, you're crawling around and they're they're firing live ammunition. Well, that's what we see in the head. movies. Yeah. we see them crawling under. You see you guys crawling under the barbed wire with tracers going six inches over your head. That seems pretty dangerous to me. Yeah, uh, and in reality, uh, in the real life scenario, it's not they're well above like even if you were to have something happen where you stood up there's they're still firing well above your head where that's okay. that's not the case well hollywood <clears throat> paints a different picture <laughs> yeah hollywood always paints a different picture <laughs> <laughs> wow well the training's just got to be incredibly hard yeah let me, let me let's go on now so you 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 do this helicopter mm -hmm. stuff you're getting better at it you're getting promoted you're going through the ranks you're, you're really doing your job very well so you know the helicopter's inside and out um, I don't know if you can talk about this or not because you weren't there. You were just you were giving me some speculation. 
but there was some of the types or similar helicopters that you work on that supposedly we left in Afghanistan when we had that pullout. Yeah, you were like, "Don't worry, I, I, you couldn't speak for everybody. You couldn't speak for all the equipment over there, but you you assured me they're not going to use these helicopters." And I said, "Why?" <laughs> and you said something about a bolt that would break that the helicopter wouldn't wouldn't spin or something. It was, and I was like, "And can they fix that?" And you're like, "No, they're not. They, there's nothing they can do to fix that. That's strictly us." Yeah. I don't remember what that was, but that was the coolest thing that I heard was you guys are, it's like pulling a pin as you walk out the door and going, there's your, there's your big hunk of junk. You ain't using it now. What was that? Uh, yeah. So I don't, I can't, obviously, like you were saying, I can't speak specifically to those, uh, helicopters, but I know there's definitely stuff like with ours that if we wanted to make the helicopter like inoperable, we could by like removing minimal you so know, you minimal could, things. There is a there is an extreme possibility that they that soldiers over there could have made that equipment. You're not that they couldn't use it. Yeah, that's great. Sure. I love knowing that. It's yeah. just like, can you imagine some guys rolling in and going, "Look at we got these ten big, well, I don't know, Seahawks or whatever they are. We're going to yeah. use these and we're going to make war." And then they can't <laughs> fire them up or they can't fly them up in the air yeah. or something. I mean, what a bunch of <laughs> how disappointing <laughs> that. They, yeah, uh, it was funny. Uh, so I was on a boat once and we were. We were out uh, in uh, next to Somalia, and we we just kind of started having a conversation amongst ourselves, and we're like, obviously, it would never happen, but could you imagine if somehow some of these Somalian pirates on their little rinky-dink boats found a way to overtake us and get on the boat, get us all all of us off or captive or whatever, and then they saw our helicopters and were like, man, we're gonna fly these. <laughs> <laughs> now, like when when we're on a boat. We uh we have to like fold the blades, right? Yeah, they get like folded up and put away, and it's you know it it's quite a movement. It's quite a an action. It's like has to be coordinated. There's like spe you're like to be yeah, a supervisor of that. You have to just, go to special training. You got to go to special training for bl the blades. To fold the blades, you like go through like you have to get do like a syllabus, and there's someone who knows how to do it who teaches you, and then there. are to do it, there has to be one of those people qualified to do that present. Do it's, they fold back in a perfect line, or do they actually get removed? So for specifically the one that I work on, um, you there's like you pull pins, like half pins, and the blades, they stay on, but like one pin will be out, and there's mm -hmm. two pins that hold it in. So you remove one, and then the, bold, then the blade can, on the other. can pivot on the uh, other. I got you. And you got one that goes forward, one that goes backwards. I mean, and, and even with people who, you know, have had been trained on this helicopter, how to work in and around it, and like one dude who's like a supervisor who's been trained specifically for folding the blades, yeah, you know, you can still run into issues and things can go sideways. So that's we, with trained people that know what they're And that's with doing. trained people. So I couldn't even imagine someone who had no <laughs> idea anything like, hey, let's try to fly. There were Molly Pirates trying yeah. to put drill holes in it and line stuff up. <laughs> yeah. When. And then also when the stuff happened in Afghanistan, um, there was like a joke going around too that it was like right after we left, the number one trending search on Google was how to fly Black Hawk <laughs> helicopter. And then 10 minutes later, the number one trending search was how to fix Black Hawk helicopter. <laughs> Oh my God, that is the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> so we pull out of Afghanistan, then Google reports the number one search is how to fly military helicopters, then <laughs> 10 days later, how to fix them. <laughs> yeah. 
Because I mean, even even with us, even with our like trained pilots, it whenever we have flights, whenever they're getting ready to go fly, do any kind of training, whatever the case may be. Yeah, we are always tasked with we have to have maintainers out there standing next to the helicopter ready to go for the pilots to to call them in and be like hey i'm having this issue this is going on right and honestly more often than not we get called in to fix you know little things here and there that come up or even just to tell the pilot like hey you know that's that's not that big of a deal you know you can fly with that you know we'll fix it just you know matt put you know put in a work order when you get back and we'll get it we'll get it figured out it's amazing the the you, well before I go on to talking about Afghanistan, even if there wasn't a general order given to soldiers to saying disable this, you know, change that, take the even if that wasn't even a command, I just got this gut feeling that American soldiers on their way out the door, knowing they're leaving this some of this gear behind. I got to believe that there's some soldiers that would have just fucked with it just because they could. Like, you know what? I'm pulling this circuit out. I'm take, putting it in my backpack and I'm taking it home. You know, you guys aren't getting this. I just got to yeah. imagine that even if it wasn't in order, there was enough American soldiers that did their own sort of sabotage because it, it was the right thing to do. I just, that's in my brain, as I make stuff up, that's the way I feel about it. So I don't know if I'm right or not. I wasn't there. So, but I just, I, I'd always hoped that that would be the case. Yeah, I, I'm sure it was. And I'm sure that there was, they were, I'm 100% certain they were given directions to remove because 100% they removed, obviously, any kind of communications gear that was on it, right? Radios. Yeah. Anything that could have, like, you know, compromised, compromised yeah. us. Yeah. And there's definitely, you know, we, I, even I, like, I work with manufacturers, people, so Bell is the company that makes the helicopters that I work on, and I work with manufacturers, engineers right. of that helicopter all the time, so I'm sure people higher up were like, you know, hey, what can we do to, you know, render sure. these useless, Yeah. and the manufacturers, engineers were like, hey, just pull <laughs> this and this, you're, and you're good. Cross these two wires, when they fire it up, it'll yeah. melt it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... If you so you're specializing in these certain type of helicopters, specializing for the Marine Corps. Does anybody else, any of the branches of the Armed Service, use the helicopters that you work on? Is it is that something in the Navy also? Uh, no, we're actually the Marine Corps is the only one that has the specific one that I work on. But they are used in other places outside of the DoD. Um, I know specifically uh, the UH one is used a lot in like. Uh, like in the Coast Guard and stuff like that. I got you. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this then. So you you've you've been on several deployments. You've been around the world. You've been to other bases, but it wasn't it wasn't sightseeing. You weren't like you were actually going there at times to fix helicopters at and uh, other places. And I mean, I'm sure it was Marine Corps stuff. But if there's a Marine Corps base, let's say in Okinawa. And they're struggling with something. They take your whole crew out there, and you spend six weeks working on their helicopters. Has that ever happened? Have you had to go abroad to go around the world to to help get get other parts of your fleet up to spec just because of manpower or something? Uh, no, not not me personally. But they they do have stuff in place where if there's like people struggling, they'll actually send um, like civilian contractors out there to help with uh you know any issues you're having so what was the last the, how many deployments have you been on three this three last? three yep. and 
tell me about the first one. Where'd you go? And what was the purpose of the deployment? Just to see if you could handle living on an aircraft carrier for a little while? I mean, what was the, what'd yeah. you do? So the first deployment I went on, I didn't actually go uh, on a boat. We just went over to Japan. It was, uh, it, it was more so, it was less of a deployment, like an actual deployment and more of like a training cycle. Okay. Just kind of to like keep the squadron, um, I guess like knowledgeable in like what you need to do, like when you deploy, you know, it's more and like, what once is that? I don't even understand what that means. Why couldn't they, if you know how to work on a helicopter in Pendleton, mm -hmm. you know how to work on one in Japan. Why, why send you there? What's, what are you training for there? It, it's more so, uh, about like the movement of it. Like, hey, let's pick everything. Can we pick everything up and move it somewhere else and continue operating? Oh, all right. Okay. Yeah. That, yeah, that's uh, all right. I get what you're saying. That's like mm -hmm. a supply chain type of thing. Can we, yeah, can we it's have more a of like logistical center and still function? Yep. Okay. It's like a logistical kind of thing. Cause another thing too that, like, uh, because the helicopters I work on were going to Afghanistan, you know, we were on a deployment cycle out there. Um, that ended very shortly after I joined. And <clears throat> the thing that you have to consider when you're thinking about the Marine Corps and stuff like that is the majority of people get in, do a four-year contract and get out. So if you're on a cycle of deployments, those people are going to go most likely go on one deployment and be gone. Right. You know what I mean? So if we, if we weren't doing this like deployment training stuff, you know, there would be nobody almost nobody at our squadron, especially in like lower level positions, which are right. doing the groundwork, you know, sure. yeah, uh, that had deployed before. So let's say they were, you know, something obviously given current events, if something was to happen, they're like, Hey, let's deploy. We would have a whole lot of people that would have no idea what they're doing. Anything that's going on. Okay. Correct. Now that makes more sense. Yeah. So that was your first deployment. That was your primary function was just practicing, having a forward base for repair out of, of far away. Yep. See if you can get the yep. parts there, the supplies there, the helicopters yep. there, the tools, equipment, feed everybody. Keep I, That's that's a huge undertaking. I, it I, is. When you massive. think about it, yeah. that's incredibly hard to do. Mm -hmm. All right. So where was your second deployment? What did you do there? So the second deployment, I was, actually, I was on a boat this time. I was a part of a, a, a Marine Expeditionary Unit, and uh, we went... We, we went all over the place, actually. We, we sailed. We, I boarded in uh, California, and we sailed all the way over to uh, the eastern side of Africa, and went, you know, we were all around in the Middle East and stuff like that. And what was the purpose of that one? What was the, what was the intention? So the, uh, the initial intention with the Marine Corps is that we and the Navy, we always have people over there. So oh. it was just our turn to be over there. And we're kind of just patrolling the area. There, uh, there was some stuff that we kind of like got involved with and helped out with and whatnot. But I'm not really sure where I can go into detail with that stuff. That's so. all right. That's yeah. I don't want you to get fired. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, but now I see now that's something I didn't know. Maybe there's a lot of people. I'm sure there's a lot of military people and liaisons that do know that kind of stuff. But I didn't know. I know that we we have bases and we have soldiers all over the world at all times. But yep. it, that would make sense. You wouldn't just put a base over there and have, you know, 10,000 soldiers sitting there. It's, you can rotate people around as you go. And there's six mm -hmm. weeks of these guys and six weeks of these guys. That'd be good for the soldiers too. You get an idea mm -hmm. on what's going on, what the temperatures and humidities and the languages and the cultures, you really yep. get a little bit of a taste of that. 
if they if they take you all over that's that's not bad i didn't, wouldn't even have thought of that but that's a good idea yeah that's good so that was your second one was just kind of being a presence the expeditionary force was moving around at different places and that yep. was it yep we were just kind of being a presence all right so what was your third one your last deployment what'd you do there uh so the last one i went on was kind of a combination of the first two it initially it was kind of a part of uh kind of just the training part but then i also went with uh i joined up with the 31st marine expeditionary unit which is more of like a training one we're there to like kind of train how to be on a boat how to operate with boats but specifically we we did like integrated training with the japanese how was that because that that was probably your first interaction with another military working with them so that was my first real interaction like working with like the japanese military i had worked with um a few other uh countries and their militaries prior to that that was the first with japan and like working with them it was really cool because there was definitely that was the first time i worked with any other force where there was like a language barrier Mm -hmm. but um it, it was it was a cool experience like you know working with someone who wanted to work with you but you couldn't just have a regular conversation. <laughs> well, and again, I'm looking at this from an out, outside perspective. Mm-hmm. But in the last two or three years specifically, maybe even the last 18 months, um, the South China Sea is a hotbed of activity. Yep. And Japan, um, I know that one of the things when I was doing some homework and I was, I was realizing China's reach and what they were pushing back on everybody, and they were they were leaning into every everybody who's part of the who has a has a shoreline in the South China Sea. They were like, "This is our stay out of it. It's our area." And Vietnam's like, "No, it's not." The Philippines, no, it's not. Taiwan, no, it's not. Everybody was saying, "You can't just claim this." And then I found out that they instead of just caving in, they all ran to Japan and said, "We need to sign something where we're all sticking together on this." And they did. A couple mm-hmm. years back, they all said, okay, well, we're sticking together on this. We're all claiming this is international waters. It's all for all. And now now China's not dealing with one individual person, one individual country. Now they're dealing with 13 because mm-hmm. they're all working together. I got to think that Japan is in hurry-up mode for catching up their military, catching up their navy, because they're always talking. It's always in the news that Japan has just allocated more money for more ships, more planes, Taiwan, more ships. Everyone's allocating more money because they're they're worried about a conflict with China. Did you get that sense of urgency with Japan? Are they, you know, they kind of dedicated into hurry up and let's let's get up to speed here? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Like w- working with them versus a lot of the other people that I've worked with, I definitely got like a you know everything that even when we weren't even like specifically training with them they were they were very eager to kind of be like hey what are you guys doing you know what's going on here uh you gotta imagine they're so close to china they're like anything you can teach Mm -hmm. us let us know give us help us dude they there's got to be countries that are just thirsty for you know share with us train us help us yeah i mean that's a that's a big thing but we have uh, I was going to ask you something, too, and I'm not getting into the Israel area thing. We'll save that for last. But um, every time that China flexes its muscles, every time there's, there's, there, was, there was a news story I saw two days ago, um, the Chinese military is running into, I mean, hit, physically running their boats into Coast Guard boats from other countries. And the Coast Guard is saying, we're still within like 12 miles, dude. You can't be here. We're 12 miles, you know, this is ours and out there is international waters. 
and they start doing some shit, and they're flexing their muscles, and they're always doing practice runs on Taiwan. They've always mm-hmm. got their Air Force and their Navy doing that. Well, they just recently sent in the Ronald Reagan. Now, I have been, it's kind of funny, I've been given to understand, people in the Navy have said, when you have a battle group that goes in, they, they always say, I don't care what stories you hear, the Ronald Reagan goes in armed. There's not a time they go, they're not going to go anywhere without all their weapons, all their food, all their soldiers. Mm-hmm. They're not like other navies. You know, when the Kursk got sunk, you heard about the Kursk getting sunk. Yeah. Um, they, they, they went there without batteries. It was just their nuclear reactor. And they said, ah, we're just going to go. We don't need the batteries this time. And the guy, a sub guy told me, he says, we'd never go out without all of our gear in any yep. of our boats at uh, all. Nope. We're ready to go or we don't go. And then I was told that I just recently was very specifically told when an aircraft carrier battle group goes to a theater, it the, the ships that go along with it are tailored for that. It's not like the Reagan goes out every time with two destroyers and two fuel ships and two food ships and one sub and three, you know, Arleigh Burks. It, it's, it's, it's different by the mission. So I didn't realize that I thought there was just a set group when when the Reagan leaves, these 12 ships leave or whatever. But it's not like that. It's like we're going to they have ships going for what they might encounter. Mm-hmm. So. When a, so they take the battle, the USS Reagan, and they ship it out over there. That seems to be a huge deterrent, hand because everyone that I've talked to, all the little incidents that Japan, sorry, China, not not China, Japan, yep, in, um, a deterrent for China, that every time, uh, all these incidents and things where where China's flexing its muscles and doing things, it all stops in the area where the Reagan is. They don't do that shit very often at all with our ships. There's been a couple I've seen where they get close to, to our boats, but almost always the, the, they move on and they're, they're messing with people somewhere else. How long can the Reagan stay over there, kind of on patrol in the South China Sea, keeping an eye on everything? How long can they stay there with all those ships? Uh, I mean, I know that they, I've definitely seen like battle carrier groups like stay in areas for very long periods of time, especially during COVID. Um, I can't remember exactly which group it was, but they, they got stuck over there for a while just due to like, you know, trying to contain, you know, quarantine, whatever the case may be, but they were over there for, you know, long, long time. Uh, what, what is like, the technical, you know, specifications of it, I'm not sure. But the other thing I will say is there's definitely there's it's not the only one. Like if they're leaving, someone else is coming in. We're really? we're, we're yeah. always going to have a presence over there. And China's always going to try to like, you know, see what they can get away with, kind of poke here, poke there. I feel like it just doesn't seem smart to count this is this I know this is a dumb civilian way to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> But it's almost like China is counting on the restraint of a pilot, the restraint of a skipper, because at any moment someone could snap and whatever, whatever we're doing over there, our ship would wipe out their ship. Our plane would wipe out their plane. And it's like, guy, they're just like you say, they're poking, but yeah, they're really counting on the restraint. That, that's that's kind of like what they're testing, I would say. Is they, they're kind of curious to see what they can get away with and how much we would get involved or how much we would retaliate. You know, because America is definitely always under the microscope. Everyone's always kind of looking at us, 
you know, we're we're expected to, you know, hold the standard. Everyone's like, oh, you know. I wish we weren't. I wish we'd just knock <laughs> shit down and go, you're bad people doing a bad thing, and if you don't stop, we're going to stop you. We're not going to lose sleep over it. We're going to move on protecting people that need to be protected. We're going to protect the innocent. And if you do this, we're not going to show restraint. We're going to smack you, and then we're going to go on with life. I yep. wish we had that, because then, they, then people like China wouldn't be poking at us. Yeah, it's very interesting if you, when you think about it, uh, kind of like the most recent four years compared to the four years prior and kind of what was happening around the world. I feel like there was definitely a reason why no one like Russia and China weren't really doing too much. And now they've definitely the, ramped up. As people would say, we had the crazy orange man in the White House that wasn't. That was like, pull the trigger. I really don't care. I'm tired of bad people doing bad things. I think that was a big part of it. Is and with every administration that I've ever uh, lived under, you always you always have a different feel of what they're going to do. You did with Reagan. You know, you did with Clinton, you did with Bush, you did with Obama. You, you just get it. Whether you voted for them or not doesn't matter. You get a sense of what they're going to do. And if yep. you sense they're going to do something, then the countries have a tendency to pull back a little bit. Not that they don't create problems. They do. But it just, there's a vibe, man. There's yeah, a vibe there's in the White feeling. House. Yep. So now we move on to where you are currently. You're still serving in Pendleton. And I know you're moving towards um, what they a non-deployable position. I know you is it. It's not instructor. You're going to be a recruiter. A recruiter. All right. Correct. So you're moving away from boots on the ground. Although mm -hmm. you're not there yet. Yep, not there yet. You very easily could be deployed tomorrow if they said so. You're not. You're not behind a desk anywhere. You you could go. Sure. Over there, uh, if you've heard recently, there's a problem going on in Israel. Yeah. Uh, you might have noticed that on the news. <laughs> And uh, the the basic let's I'm not going to rehash everything that's on the news. Those guys probably know more than I do anyway. I get I get some information, but it's most of it's what's already covered. Um, but you basically have Israel surrounding Gaza, the Gaza Strip, and they're going to go wipe out Hamas, and they're not going to they're not intending on leveling the 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 whole Gaza Strip. They're not intending on hurting any Palestinians. They're just going to get rid of Hamas. We also have Hezbollah to the north mm -hmm. that is like you say, poking holes. They're just messing yep. with stuff. And they're kind of the varsity team of this. They're, Hamas yeah. is nothing compared to Hezbollah. Yeah. And Hezbollah is the varsity team. Iran trains and backs them both. So, so you got, for the first time in my life, I've never heard of, and it maybe probably happened, but I didn't hear about it. Um, there's two battle groups in the Med. There's the Ford and its, its strike group and the Eisenhower. And mm -hmm. I was told there's smaller aircraft carriers you guys have. You know, they're not the big Nimitz class, mm -hmm. but there's other small carriers with smaller detachments of groups. There's several of them spaced out over Cyprus and in the Persian Gulf and in the mm -hmm. Red Sea. They're... It's not like those are the only two assets we have there. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of that just kind of goes back to what I... Like, if that second deployment that I went on, if, I, if that was happening right now, I, you know... I'd be there. They'd and, move you in that direction. You yeah, they, we would. Your, yeah, yeah. I'll, we would have been in the area already. They would have been like, "Hey, we're gonna go kind of position a little up closer and just kind of be a presence." Like, you know. And I think it's like super important. And I and that's part of the thing that I feel like a lot of people don't really understand and why it's like it's super important, especially for America, to show strength to like flex its muscles per se because it 
it prevents being strong prevents things from happening like if people think that hey if i do this america's going to come in and wipe me off the face of the earth they're probably just not going to do that thing yeah it's it, it, strength is a deterrent it, it is. is it absolutely is and i'm glad we're over there now i'm a little worried you know some of the you, you hear analysts all the time, retired generals. You got all these people. You got active yeah. people and inactive people. They've all got their scenarios. The one guy that I talked to, and I'm not allowed to bring up anything about him, um, but I will tell you, he works his job, his company, uh, liaisons all the drones to the military. Mm. When the military says, we get these drones to go do this thing and do this stuff, then he says, okay. And then the, 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 the civilian side, he goes, look, it, I know the military says this, but this is what they really want. He liaisons that and makes it work. But he just went completely dark with this. He goes, I can't even come on your show and talk about Coca-Cola. <laughs> I can't talk about <laughs> McDonald's. If they hear my voice, I'm in trouble. I got to just, he's dark. Sure. But what he did tell me before he had to go dark was one of the things to worry about was that, and, and I got this from another person too, that is going to be on the program um, uh, in a week or so, C putting these two things together. So I'll tell you is that um, two things come to mind, that there's two basic points, and I've talked about this openly in the live streams before, but one is if Israel occupies Gaza, if they go into the Gaza Strip, clear everybody out, mm -hmm. restore the food, restore the water, kind of have order, my thing as a dumb civilian is stay there, occupy it. Just tell the whole world, say, we're not going to go through this again. Mm -hmm. We're not going to go through it one more time. You're not going to build your army. You're not going to attack us. We're just taking over Gaza, tough shit. You know, run your government, elect your officials, but we're not leaving. Yep. We're not going to do that again. Why is that important? Because Israel occupying Gaza in the view of the world, the UN is yep. the same as Russia occupying Ukraine. We can't say it's okay for Israel to do it, but it's not okay for Russia. Russia, you need to get out. And this couple people have told me that are pretty high up now have said, if that situation stands in the U, when the UN says, has to publicly say, all right, you've been there for three months, you gotta get out, you can't stay there. And Israel, if Israel were to stay there, you would have Russia, China, and other countries, North Korea, going, well, we're just going to enforce what the UN wants. We're just doing the UN's bidding. We're, we're helping out the United Nations. We're going to go in there, and we're going to get rid of Israel. We're going to kick them. We're going to do it. You can't stop us. We have the UN on our side. We're UN-backed. That's what they just said. They said they condemned Israel and told Israel to get out. Yeah, It is a free license to go in there. And do that. You could start trouble right then, and that would put the Western allies at odds with the UN and China and mm -hmm. Russia. Not that Russia is a huge factor, but yeah. you get the idea that all of a sudden that puts you in, wait a minute, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. You can't, you yeah. can't do that. That's one aspect that's, that could be coming that they could be waiting on. It's like, yeah. okay, all we need is approval. Now we're not doing something illegal. Mm -hmm. Now we're just supporting the UN. That's one. The other one that really didn't come to my attention until someone talked to me about it about a week ago was all of the chess pieces being moved around the board to try to de-escalate this, to try to bring this back down, to lower the temperature, draw the lines, and see who's doing what, all hinges on Saudi Arabia. 
all of it. They said mm-hmm. that is the that's the thing to look for. You're going to start hearing more about that in weeks to come because right now they're staying out of it. But eventually they're going to have to pick a side. Yep. And Saudi Arabia has been moving completely westernized in the last yeah. 10 years. They love that shit. Yeah, a lot of people say like not necessarily like them specifically, but a big reason why this attack happened when it did was because uh, Israel was at the table with Saudi Arabia. Very close. Trying to do peace. They were so trying to close. Make a peace treaty. Working yep. on a peace agreement for so long. Yeah. And they were almost there. And Iran's like, yeah, you, we're not having none of that. Yeah. Now, I don't know that it, it, from what I'm hearing from people, it didn't ruin it, but it definitely put it on pause. Yep. It's definitely paused. But if the all of the all uh, everyone who's aligning with the Emirates over there, the Emirates Empire or mm-hmm. Association, and Saudi Arabia is the key, you're dragging other people with you with their vote, how they decide. If they're like, yeah, we're not going along with this, and Israel's got to change, that puts them against the West. If they decide, if the Crown Prince and and everybody falls in line behind him, if they decide. Saudi Arabia says, oh, yeah, uh, we're, sti- we're sticking with the UN. We're sticking with the West. We like the way things are going. That, that all of a sudden, I've been told, that puts such immense pressure on Iran that now some pieces can be moved around the board going, look, if you do this, you can't, you can't, there's no way you can handle all of us, and now we're free to go fight over here. If China starts some shit... You know, because nobody wants to be in a in a in a, in a two theater war. That's very difficult. Yeah. So the 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 main thing was if Israel occupies Gaza, that's one. What is where does that leave the UN? You you got it. You can't play favorites. And the other mm-hmm. one is Saudi Arabia. When they finally commit to a decision and a direction, that sets the tone for everything. It either it'll either bring stuff down quickly. Temperatures come down. De escalation comes down. You know, the, the, the fingers off the trigger. But if they don't, if they go against Israel, if they go against the West, that ramps things up. So everyone is doing their jobs right now, I've been told, uh, waiting to see it which way they're going to go. And right now they're staying out of it. They're, they're saying, hey, they're, they're doing the typical what everybody does. Ah, you know, we don't like seeing innocent people die. You know, yeah. they shouldn't have attacked them. It's going to be tough. Make sure you don't. You just the, g- generically staying out of it. So what are you what what is Saudi Arabia's other than financially? They got tons of cash and they have control over oil. What do they have for a military presence one way or the other? I don't even I don't know anything about Saudi Arabia. I mean, do they have a <coughs> top-notch military or air force or anything? Yeah, I mean, honestly as far as I know, I'm I'm not too familiar with like what their specific military capabilities. You haven't be. been sent to Saudi Arabia to fix helicopters then. I ha- I have not. <laughs> and, you know, they haven't really been involved in a lot of stuff especially in that aspect. So, it's kind of hard to say. But honestly, I'm not I'm not super sure about that. I just would wonder what the I know there's a there's a huge influence of countries that go along with them. I get that. Yeah. But I just God, it'd just be so nice to have all of a sudden if Saudi Arabia turned and said, Yeah, we're with Israel, we're with the UN, we're with the West, we're with the United States. Yeah. Because God damn, we could turn around in China and go, All right, now do you have something to say about this or not? Yeah. You know? I, <laughs> I, I in my personal opinion, I feel like 
the likelihood of that is probably very low. You know, everybody wants to do, especially in that area in that Which region, that they're going to side with us. That they'll that they'll openly like side with us and be like, "Hey, we're going to go with the West." It's really? just like I think that that would outs them a lot from their neighboring countries. Yeah, but they've gone so, like you said. They were just about to sign peace with Israel. Yeah. That's the biggest no-no ever. You can't do that. <laughs> and they're they're about to do it. And everything in their society, they're bringing in rock concerts now. They're, yeah. they're changing to hotels and making everything green over there, building massive cities, embracing capitalism, and they're thriving on it. They love every bit of it. Yeah. Why would they give that up? They're, they've been a decade of going one direction and want, and to throw it away now. When they, they were just a breath away from signing something with Israel. I'm going to differ with you on that one. You think it's yeah. low that they're going to side with the West? I'm thinking I've been, I've been listening to the crown prince speak for months now. And other than some shady stuff he's doing, I get it. Kills yeah. reporters. <laughs> we saw, you know, I'm not saying they're a democracy, yeah. but I'm just saying that it, I've listened to the guy talk and the things, the evidence is what they've been doing. Yeah. They're completely transforming their nations. Completely. I like that. I mm -hmm. think they're going to side with the progress they've made. That would be my guess. But I'm a dumb mechanic in the middle of the desert. What do I know? <laughs> All right. So let's go back to if you were to be deployed in the Mediterranean or the Middle East, mm -hmm. would where they deploy you? Because I'm assuming there's different places they could, there's a, a base here or a base there or an aircraft carrier here that they could deploy your, your, your unit to. If they sent you guys over there, by where they sent you, would that give you a sense of what's going on? Like, huh, that's kind of weird. If they put us here, A, B, and C must be happening. If they put us over there, you know, D, E, and F. If they sent you guys to a specific place with your tactical helicopters, does that give you, and I'm not going to ask you for battle plans, of course, but yeah. would that give you a sense, your guys a sense of what's going on by where they send you? Yeah, probably more than likely, just because um, the specific aircraft that I work on doesn't have a very long range. Uh, you know what I mean? So I wouldn't be like, we're, it wouldn't be really an option for me specifically to be very, like we would not be far from, from the action, from the from action, what, from what their yeah. assignment is, what yeah. their mission is. So if they're, if we're, if they're putting up us like on the Northern side of Israel, okay, cool. Hezbo you know, the yeah. Lebanon and Hezbollah. Hezbollah that, <laughs> <laughs> those yeah. dudes poked and prodded a little bit too much. And <laughs> now they got, now they got to deal with you guys. Yeah. Yeah. But how many how many bases do you know how many places how many bases there are in Israel that you could that your your guys could be deployed to or would they just make a base? We, honestly, we would probably just make a base. Really, just yep. clear out some stuff and go. We're landing here. Yeah, we we would we'd probably just make like a fob. Yeah, that's a that's incredible. You guys can do that. Just set up uh, headquarters and everything, and now you got a base of operations right there. Yeah. But that's that, See, that's the thing you and I kind of talked about before. It's like if you get deployed and they put you on an aircraft carrier, it's like, all right, we're still floating around seeing where we're going. But, yeah, mm -hmm. if they put you on the ground someplace, like you said, you, you kind of know what they're thinking yeah. by where you are. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm hoping you don't get deployed. I'm hoping this whole thing calms down. But yes. like we talked about, you, you're always a Marine first. And if they say, get your boots and your helmet and your, your weapon, let's go, you go. Yep. Period. End of story. Yep. So if, if, it, if the worst case scenario happened, now, and I'm speaking, I'm going to ask your opinion on a vague 
question of the military that you know anybody could answer with an opinion because it's just you more so than me, obviously. But mm -hmm. um, if we have all the assets over there, and it ends up Hezbollah starts attacking, and everyone says, "Well, what if Iran attacks?" And I first thought, "Well, how would Iran? How would they attack? Are they just? Do they? They're going to roll in with tanks, or is it just going to be missiles? I, no one's really clear. Everyone throws that out there on the news. Well, you got to be careful if if Iran gets involved and they attack with what? What are you talking about? I mean, we defeated the Iraqi military, and they supposedly had way more of an army than Iran. So I don't get what you're saying. You know, what are you attacking with? But whatever it is, if they decided to attack and Hezbollah attacks, um, first of all, I'm pretty confident the United States and its allies could handle Iran and Hezbollah and Hamas, and it would—I yep. mean, it would be terrible and it would be bloody, but yep. there would be a confident victory there. Like, there's no chance they have it winning unless they started throwing nuclear weapons. Around. Yeah, I think that's that's that right there is kind of the the fear is that because. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like Iran, I mean, even even Israel by itself could very likely they they would be spread thin, but they could very likely handle Hamas and Hezbollah at the same time. Um, it's it's more of just like I think we're just kind of there, not necessarily that they couldn't handle Hezbollah and because they can handle, in my opinion. Obviously, this yeah, is just my opinion. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think they could handle Hamas like with just basic ground forces. Right. But their air force is is uh top notch. Top notch. Yeah. So I think, you know, they could do like an air force in the north just kind of annihilate Hezbollah there. Yeah, I think they could bring it to yeah. rubble. They could raise the whole city to the ground yeah. if they needed to. I think the US just kind of wants to prevent that from happening because of the implications that it brings with Iran. Sure. And again, it's us in Israel versus Iran, Hezbollah, Hamas. What's the but and and but that's the, that's always the underlying fear all the time, is if if Iran's got nothing to lose, if Hamas is defeated, Hezbollah's defeated, now everybody's pissed at Iran. Why not throw a nuclear weapon out there? We don't care. We're Iran. What do we got to lose? You guys are pissing us off. You've ruined everything. You've beat all of our ground forces. You know yeah. why not? Why not throw a nuclear? Even if you're not gonna, even if you're not gonna uh, bomb. Israel, couldn't they launch a couple of nukes out into the Mediterranean where our battle groups are and get close? I mean, you don't, when you use a nuclear weapon, you don't got to have pinpoint accuracy, do you? I mean, you're going to cause damage. I mean, yeah. why would, that's always the fears. Why wouldn't they just, all right, who cares? Who cares anymore? Let's just launch some nukes and let's get it on. We're losing anyway. Yeah. That's, that's the thing that as, as just a common civilian citizen, I'm worried about. Yeah. I'm worried about that factor. Uh, yeah, and I, I think that's like the biggest, that's definitely the biggest fear for sure is that if Iran does want to get involved and the U.S. does what it needs to against them, that, they're, that that's going to be really their only option. Why can't we just walk over there, knock on their door and go, if you fire one nuke, we're going to turn your country into a fucking parking lot. Just so you know, there you won't ever know if you won or lost. You're never going to know if your missile even hit anybody because before it does, we're going to glass your whole country. So if you want your whole country to be a parking lot, go ahead. Otherwise, I'm going to leave now, and you guys need to you practice some common sense and restraint. I don't know why, since since we talked about America's presence being a deterrent, mm -hmm. it's only good if you use it. 
Yeah. Just like in the Cold War, it's like there was always the threat of complete annihilation between Russia and the United States. No yeah. one wanted to pull the trigger because the other one had already said, if you do, if you send one, we're sending a thousand. And Russia did the same thing. Russia was like, you shoot one at us, we're going to send a thousand your way. The whole mutual annihilation was what kept the Cold War in check quite often. Yep. It's only this, this is this having a big stick is only good if you if they know you're going to use it. Yeah. I think Iran needs to know that it's like, look, we're not messing around. Because just even, even I'm not even talking about the, uh, the aircraft carriers that are there. Think about the nuclear subs we have in the area that have all those intercontinental ballistic missiles on them that can just, and you, you'll never find them. You're never going to find those guys. Yep. So I don't know. I'm worried yeah. about that. But let's move on to sunny point number two. Mm-hmm. That was talking, we were just talking about Hamas and Hezbollah and Iran. All right. What if China decides while we're doing all this, they want to invade Taiwan? First of all, in your opinion, could we stop them from invading Taiwan? Yes. I, I, I personally believe so. I, I think um, kind of like what was happened with Russia's, like it, the perception has always kind of been that the only people that could match the U.S., in the military was russia and china right and now russia's over here having issues with little old ukraine sure they're they've got some you know backup from us a little but bit of funding nothing like we all yeah thought. It, nothing. it was not the way we thought it was going to go and there, there's an argument to be made on both sides but i personally believe that china is in the same boat i think that their military is a smoke screen i think they put things out there and they say certain things and like what are the numbers that they put out uh, honestly, if you know whether you believe those or not, I, I honestly well, don't. Well, here's two things. One is you know they're building aircraft carriers. Sure. And they're okay. I don't I don't like their carriers. I don't like those ramp carriers at all. Yeah. Um, when you study that the planes can't be as big, they can't carry as much off those. You don't you mm -hmm. can't bring as much armament as you can off of our Nimitz class. Not even close. Not even yep. night and day. The mm -hmm. ramp. Actually, it changes the dynamics of everything and limits your limits your sorties. You can fly in in all sorts of ways. So I think their aircraft carriers themselves are inferior. Yeah. But here's the, and I get into arguments with people like, oh, you don't understand. China's been training and they got thousands and thousands of men and they're ready to go and they got two aircraft carriers and they're building two more. It's like, does it not ever sink into anybody that the Navy has? been in actual wars with aircraft carriers mm -hmm. that we've actually we we train by what we know is a combat situation that one of the things that was it was so it was so interesting when i studied the battle of midway when mm -hmm. uh, it was kind of a turning point as they say in the war um was that you know one of the things that that caused the Japanese to lose their carriers was their crew of fire control people were not nearly as good as ours. We got bombed on the Yorktown um, and and the, the planes bomb the Yorktown, see it on fire and it gets engulfed in flames. They go back and say, we sunk one. They send another airplane squadron out. They say, oh look, there's another aircraft carrier just sitting there floating, no smoke, no damage, no nothing. Same ship. But our crew could save those ships. We were trained. We knew what to do. Mm -hmm. We knew how to do fire suppression. We knew how to get organized. They'd been doing it, learning the same with the Japanese. The Japanese couldn't put out their fires. 
You, I'm telling you, there's something yeah. to be said about our Navy and how they operate aircraft carriers. These boys know how to get out there and, and do their job. How mm -hmm. does China? They've never been in a combat yeah. situation with their aircraft carriers. They've mm -hmm. never they've never been in real life situations. They they can read a manual. Someone could steal the manual off of one of our aircraft carriers and go, well, we, we gotta have this many men to do this and this many people to do that. But it's different when you're actually out there doing it. Yeah. And our Navy's been doing it for 70 years. I don't see how anybody can compare um, a Chinese Navy with new ships, commanders that have never, ha they don't have any history on their side of going and doing these things to what we've got in our United States Navy. Yeah, I 100% agree. I don't, I don't think they could stand to us at all. I mean, and there's definitely something to be said about the generational knowledge that's like within our Navy. I mean, even with <coughs> like, even with like for my job, in the helicopters, sure, we have manuals and stuff that tell us how to fix things and do this and do that. But I, there, there's countless things within that manual that when a brand new guy comes in and he's he has no idea what he's doing, you know, he's he's been to the basic school, that's it, cool, he knows how to read the manual, and now he's trying to implement the manual. It's not always the best way to go about things. No, and you're talking about look look at your years of experience mm -hmm. on a helicopter, and you still get into situations diagnosing things. You're like, okay. I know everything about this. I'm up to speed as much as anybody on the planet, and you still have to struggle to diagnose it. Take yeah. you can't just plug a computer in and it figures it out for you. There's there's some skill level that goes along. Yeah. How are they going to do that stuff with their aircraft that they're they're stealing blueprints and building these airplanes? What happens when it doesn't quite fly right? Yeah, and they come back and go. The pilot says, "Yeah, it's kind of doing this. There's yeah. a little bit too much yaw rate or something." Who are mm -hmm. they going to tell? They're like, "Well, I didn't design this plane. I'm just building it off the specs." There's yeah. no depth there. I don't understand how come no one pays attention to that factor when it yeah. comes to China just being stolen or given all these blueprints. Like, oh, and automatically you you get a hundred years experience too. Yeah, come on, for real. Man. Yeah, there's yeah, there's definitely a lot of experience that goes into that. And I'm like, you know, even for me, I'm getting ready to leave. You know, I'm trying to pass along as much of that as possible, just like the guys before me, you know, did to me. So there's a lot of like stuff there that, and then even with that stuff like i was saying earlier there's there's still times where like i have phone numbers and we got little business cards of engineers people who work for the manufacturer and i can call them up and we can get people out there and working on like you know stuff that comes up that i'm like man i'm yeah. not really understanding why what's happening is happening and they can come out and be like hey this is how it's designed to work this is how it's supposed to be and i'm like well yeah look at this and they're like oh yeah that's pretty interesting and i can work with them and we can get it figured out and guess and what those fixed. guys don't go they don't go to china and help yep. them yep they sure don't <laughs> i just don't i don't see i see i see what you're saying i agree with you on this the propaganda mm -hmm. far outweighs I think what the meat and substance behind behind the pictures are. I just yeah. don't see it. I don't see the experience there for for they just don't have it. They just because they haven't gone through it yet. Yeah. I mean, you you talking about the, our our navy's been doing this for what you know two hundred years, and the last seventy or eighty years with modern machines, our navy, our marine corps, our army has learned harshly <laughs> and shed away the stuff that doesn't work amplified the stuff that does and is improving on it yeah. when, you tell me when china you you got to tell me that china has to go through a learning curve yeah 
their tactics. They they look good on paper, but until you have a commander standing there uh, mm. in battle, that's a whole different feel, man. Yeah, and the best learning curves usually come with devastating losses. I would agree with that. Yeah, I'm just I just don't see when they. Every time they talk about China matching what we have, it's yeah. always just numbers. Yeah. That's all it always is. And another thing, too, that I feel like is, I don't really think I've ever seen it talked about, is Chinese, uh, Chinese like willingness from, you know, the lowest yeah. level person, especially with the way they handled COVID and how things were dealt over well, there. They handle their people. Look at their <laughs> yeah, economy I, with everyone can't get their money out of their banks. They're yeah. always, China's always, every year, they're on, it's always, food is on a razor's edge. Mm -hmm. They import so much food because of their, you know, they don't have the, 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 it's always, this is like a common thing that everyone knows. They talk about all the time. It's like food, 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 food. Yeah. It's a huge, big thing right there. So you're always teetering on food. You've yeah. lost your economy with money. There's buildings and housing that have just sitting empty because they've, they've overbuilt and yeah. underproduced. Yep. The, everything's shaky over there right now. I, there's like four experts on China that I listen to regularly. Mm -hmm. All these guys do is study China. That's all they've done. They're professors. All they've done for 30 years. They absolutely can tell you every person, every player, every face. They can tell you every decision that they've made and how it's gone good or bad. They're very fair about this. But all four of them agree that China is on the verge of severe turmoil. Yeah. Now, when they say that to me, I say, well, again, just like Iran, why not start an attack? Start a war. Yeah. We're going to run out. of. That's the other one. They're going to run out of people. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard about that. I didn't really realize that till a couple of years ago. When I was growing up, it was always a thing we were told: China can only only have one kid. Yeah, one the one kid policy, and it better be a boy. Well, all of a sudden they've miscalculated either on purpose or on accident, and it came out this last year. And these four professors that I listened to, these guys have said they're in trouble. Huge. You can't just invent twenty-year-olds. You can't just invent. 30-year-olds. They are running out. These people are getting old, retiring, dying, moving on. Yeah. And they're realizing that having that one one child policy is now going to kill them. They can't just now they've lifted it. Have kids, let's go. Yeah. But now there's a gap. There's a time period. There's a decade where they're not going to have people working. They're not going to have enough. Mm -hmm. Their infrastructure for all the stuff they produce and send out, their military, everything is going to be affected by this. Yeah, because they're gonna they're short. All four guys independently say this is this is one of their big concerns. Well, before that gets there, why not attack? I mean, if you had to wait for the perfect storm, it's like well, if if I was China, if I was President G, I'd be thinking, all right, I'm gonna wait till there's a weak White House, not as prone to fight. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna wait till there's a conflict overseas where America's looking the other way, and before I run out of money. And food and people, because I'm running out of all right now. I got one shot at this before before there's a civil war here. I'm going to make a move on something. Now I'm not saying they're going to take over the whole South China Sea, but they definitely yeah. would make a move on Taiwan. Taiwan, yeah, they if want they were, that pretty bad. <laughs> if they were ever going to make a move, what are they? What what more would you be waiting for? Are you can 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 someone come along and say, well, you know, <clears throat> China could do that, but you know they're really waiting for this one more situation to kind of go their way, then they'll do it. All right, name it. Yeah, name one more thing they'd be waiting for, and I I haven't been able to find anybody to tell me one yet. Yeah, I'm worried. Yeah, I was talking with 
my wife earlier too is like another thing that's kind of scary about it is the fact that we have an upcoming election and the way that trump kind of looks in the polls right now i mean obviously him versus biden polls are kind of and you know most people are looking at the primaries but mm-hmm. he, where he is dominating so a lot i feel like a lot of these people are looking at that and are like you know especially china they in their head they could be like hey this the is our clock's l- ticking this is our last <laughs> chance <laughs> right if we're gonna make a move we better make it now now contrary to what you just said you're you're just your opinion just yeah. thrown out the top of your head you're like we could stop China from invading Taiwan. Um, yeah. A couple of guys that I talked to said we we we're not in a position to do that. We don't have ground forces over there. If they decided to just race across and invade Taiwan, not much could stop them. And we could go. We'd have, but we'd have to go root them out of there. Just they've been very frank with me, saying just so you know, if China really wanted to just you know put six hundred thousand men race across there in boats and airplanes, they take over Taiwan. All right, we go get them out. But it's going to be a fight to get him out. But that would be the way. There's really not. They said at this moment, we don't have a mechanism in place. I mean, if I guess if we lined up, you know, two divisions of Marines on the beach, we could stop them. Yeah. But we just they, they said just realize if they want to, we're it'd be it'd be a mop up effort to to go root them out of there. I'm I'm with I'd rather be with you and that we we yeah. wouldn't let them in. But I don't know that they're confident we have assets in place as they're swarming across to Taiwan. Do we have assets to intercept them and stop them? We do. Well, I can tell you with 100% certainty, we have assets in that area all the time. If there's enough to stop them, I feel better already. That yeah. feels great. <laughs> and and uh, I think there's something to be said, too, about taiwan themselves they they have a military it's not like they're just over there like man i sure hope america comes and saves us you know i don't well no i don't picture them (coughs) riding bicycles around yeah yeah, yeah. and you gotta think like what what do they what does their military train for their military trains for one thing and one thing only and that's china invading yeah so i'm sure that they've you know would we be there the instant the invasion started no but do i think we would be there in about within, half an hour? Within 24 hours? <laughs> yes. And do I think that they could hold China off until we pulled in and flanked China? 100%. Yeah. Good. And I think that that's something that definitely China considers is like, you know, how long would our invasion take and would America be here within that time? And how they, there's no way that, you know, you picture a running back taking a football and plowing through the line and they put their they put their arm out to stiff arm somebody you yeah. know to get them away long enough to get across the line there is no way that china could stiff arm the united states and go well if the united states swarmed over to help taiwan we could hold them back for a, a minute here while we finished our invasion no way could they do they're not a yeah. not a possibility at all they get their arm broke if they did that you can't stiff arm us yeah. no way the only thing that comes into play in these conversations that's a wild card, and this is what people tell me, is the wild card. And I've got two parts of the story. China, and of course Russia says it, but China claims with certainty they have a missile that can sink an aircraft carrier. They have claimed that for about a year and a half now, supersonic missile. They say you can't stop it. We couldn't stop it if it was aimed at us. You can't stop it if it aimed at you. And so you put over two carriers over here. We're going to take two missiles and sink two of your carriers. That's been that's been their mantra for about two years now. And they show pictures and they talk about it and that's it. The only thing that makes me feel okay 
about what they said like they might be lying is I saw an interview one time where there was a naval rear admiral and it was brought up to him on a he was you know taking questions mm-hmm. and they said hey uh China has this weapon do you think it exists and he says I don't know maybe maybe they got one as well aren't you worried about it sinking the carriers if they if they actually built this he goes nope not even a little bit that's all he said he didn't elaborate on if there was a space laser that would shoot it down <laughs> he didn't talk about you know uh, throwing out you know throwing up lead to hit this thing before it, he didn't elaborate at all he just said nah, I don't know if there is one or not maybe they got one so what and like well you're not worried about hitting the, no not even a little bit he he acknowledged maybe they have one not gonna hit us I have no idea what he's talking about mm-hmm. don't even care as long as he's that confident then then that takes that chess move off the table it's off the board you know that's not a that's been their big threat was oh the mighty aircraft carrier you guys rely on your aircraft carriers way too much well I'll tell you what we're gonna take those out and then this guy comes out and goes no you're not that was huge for me as a person as an American yeah. citizen now I don't know that's probably not your area but yeah is there ever a worry when you're if you were if you were on an aircraft carrier over in the south china sea would you be worried about a supersonic missile coming from china to sink the boat you're on honestly no like when you first started bringing it up the first thought i had when you were like oh yeah they got this missile and they they swear it can sink carriers the first thought i had was well yeah you got to hit it first (laughs) (laughs) and good luck with that Well, now now that you say that, there was another documentary where a naval expert said, you don't understand the logistics in the handing off of information between planes and boats and satellites that keep a missile on track. Yeah. He said, you, yep. just, you don't get it. It, it isn't just point yeah. and shoot, and there's not a camera on the end of this missile that looks at what it wants to go hit, and it drives itself mm-hmm. there. He, they actually had, I forgot about this, they had pictures of how satellites and ships and planes relay information to keep a long-range missile where it's going yep that's not that's pretty complicated i mean if we took out two satellites of theirs that's that's done you're not yeah you're through you're not doing anything you're not you're not shoot you're just blindly shooting out in the <laughs> ocean then yeah. i'd forgotten about that thanks for reminding me that that's a good point good luck hitting it yeah well <laughs> Yeah, especially something going that fast. You can't use a an Atari joystick and steer that thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know, man. I I appreciate all of your insight. I appreciate you taking time. I know we ran a little bit long, but no, it's fine. What a great interview! You've been you've you've answered everything, given me a ton of new information and respect for the Marine Corps stuff I didn't know, and I like that. You know, when, you, when you're in any industry, I don't care if you're in the food industry, you know the scuttlebutt of what's true and what's not about the food industry. If you're in the automotive industry, you know the scuttlebutt. You know what's going on, even though the news and people talk, but you're like in the industry, so you know. You're in the Marines. You're in the military. When you give me an answer with a certain degree of confidence... That makes me feel better because you're you, you get a vibe. You may not know the specific battle plan of the uh, of the United States with Israel, yeah. but you're like, doesn't matter. When these guys get their shit together, it's I, I know the result. We win. I like that attitude. I like the feeling that way. I like that there. I know there's things that are unpredictable, and some things can come up, and nothing ever goes exactly as planned. But the idea that you're not super worried about every little thing makes me feel better. 
Yeah. You know, and you just in the know. You just there's stuff you know that the rest of us don't. Other soldiers may know it too, isn't it? You know, it's not like you're the only person who knows. Yeah. But I bet if I sat down 200 other Marines like you and did the same interview, I'd come away feeling the same way. And I like that feeling. Well, yeah. Mike, thanks a lot for doing this interview. Thanks for taking time. I know you got to get on with your day. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for sticking around, whether you're watching the video portion of this or the just listening as you're driving around. I hope you got some good information out of this. It's not, not often we get somebody who's got some real boots on the ground, hands-on experience, who's been around the world. Remember, the whole thing with Gen X Talks is we look at things with nuts and bolts. We don't get lost and confused with all the focus groups and the charts and the graphs and, and all the politics of it. Just keep it simple. Keep it just at street level. Look out your front door. Tell them what's going on. Well, you're talking to a guy. You're listening to a guy who came in the studio and just says, all right, well, when I lace up my boots and I look out across the base, you want to know, I'll tell you what's going on. You can't get much more basic than that. And as you notice, we didn't get too deep into everything. You just get the sense and the vibe. I hope it made you guys feel good, too. All right. I got to go. I got to get out of here. There's many more things to do. Remember two things. Wherever you go, there you are. And I'll catch you guys on the flip side. Yeah.